I'm Bojack Hernandez. I'm Justin Moss. We're from Ronin, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Anyway, let's talk about Ronin. Sure. So I guess for those not familiar, we're going to do this with, uh, we do this with just about everybody. Can you give us the two-sentence elevator boardroom pitch? And since Bojack's got his waffle in his mouth, I guess you're up, Justin. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so I would say we're, we're sort of um, a throwback to, to that late 90s, early 2000s rock. Um, we, we have a little bit of a retro sound like that to us. Um, so I would say if you're sort of looking for um, less of the the modern scene of double bass heavy and looking mm-hmm. back for for a little more guitar heavy, groove heavy, um, that that's kind of the band that we are. Okay, fair enough. So new record, uh, Valak the Defiler out on Pavement Records. Now that it's done, how do you feel about it? And are you satisfied with the the way it turned out? I would say we're pretty satisfied with the product as a whole. Um, you know, it took us uh, a few months uh, that I want to say like maybe four or five months of just going in there week after week uh, to get things done. And our sessions did take a while. I think the longest session that we did was about 11 hours. And that was my base session where I just went in and, you know, put in the work. But we really took our time to work on the album. And if it wasn't, for Frank Materatona's input and, you know, him just being a really well-rounded and an expert at, um, you know, being uh, a producer and being a sound engineer. Um, I don't think we would have been as satisfied had we, you know, done it independently or done it through a different means. Cause uh, honestly, with the culmination of us working together as a team and Frank's input, I think it really gave us something that we, you know, when we talk about it amongst ourselves, when we talk about it amongst our friends that we say, you know, we're proud of and very satisfied with. Okay. So let me step back for a second then. Um, was this something you guys were able to go in, go in and re- rehearse all at once? Or did you take advantage of technology and that sort of thing? Because you're close, right? Are you able to uh, get in the room and bounce ideas off each other? Yeah. So, so we, um, you know, some, some, some tracks on the album, um, you know, the good thing about our band, you know, besides myself as the drummer, uh, really all three other uh, of the members are capable of writing a song. So so um, each of them brought some of their their own songs to the album. Um, and then, you know, in terms of working them out to, to further flesh them out and get them record ready uh, in our lead singer's backyard, we have a shed set up where, uh, you know, we got the drum set set up, uh, mixing board. Um, Bo really handles uh, and can kind of talk more about the setup, but uh, he handled sort of getting demos together for us, which we, you know, sent to Pavement and uh, kind of got their feedback on and helped us as we were were shaping the, the for really finalizing the demos and starting right. the recording process. So I think yes. what I was getting at more more specifically is you guys are able to write together in the same spot. So the because I think when you do that. The, the listen to the final product, no matter how much you process it or do whatever, I think you can tell that it was it's more organic and more alive. Does that make sense? When yeah. Together, as opposed to emailing stuff back and forth. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think, you know, the fact that we're able to reconvene once a week, sit in a room together for, you know, a handful of hours and work things out does help. Um, when we do take advantage of technology, it's obviously to record the demos and to kind of isolate our own tracks. Cause I set it up so that we multi-track everything. We multi-track baselines, we multi-track uh, everything all at once. So we're able to isolate things and say, okay, well, this is what I was playing. Now I have an idea of what I was playing. Now, what if I tried this or what if I tried that? And then when we reconvene together again and we, you know, hit the record button and we're working on a song, you know, we now have multiple takes for us to, you know, like switch in and out for us to, you know, work well together. So I think, you know, when we take advantage of technology, it's for the sole purpose of us to have a reference point. Whereas when we're finalizing a song, um, you know, that's something that we do um, while we're recording. Like we'll do the full scratch as a band. Um, we'll have a good idea of what happens. And then, you know, maybe this part that, you know, I wrote and this has happened, <laughs> maybe this part that I wrote shouldn't be here because it's too busy. You know, maybe right. we need to alleviate you know, this specific part so that the guitars could sound a little fuller or so that the lead could come out a little more. And um, I think, you know, being able to have the technology to listen back and, you know, kind of switch things out and, you know, for us to individually, you know, listen to our own parts, you know, kind of, you know, helps us. But for the most part, our songwriting is usually done as a group. We might come in with a part. I think the only song the only few songs that had been written prior to the album were, you know, Valak and Hatreds. Moss might be able to correct me in this because he's been in the band longer than I have. Um, uh, and Monster, too, because Jack had written Monster. There you um, go. So that also, you know, was, again, not that these songs were finished, but um, they were ready to definitely, you know, be polished up uh, when right. they, they, they were brought to us. Yeah. So when we have things like that, you know, it's just we bring it forward. And then everyone kind of just writes their parts together and then we work together. You know, I, I think the benefit of meeting together and having a reference really does help. Yeah, I agree. And I think you can notice it in the in the end, you know, because things have to breathe and and sort of live and change and evolve. And it does that only, I think, in that sort of setting. Absolutely. Anyway. I'm going to break one of my own rules here. And if my partner was here, he'd probably shoot me for doing this, but I never, ever ask like name of band where it came from. But since I am a working on my thesis in religious studies, I really need to know why we picked Valak the Defiler and what the story behind <laughs> this. Oh man. That's all Chris right there. He, uh, he saw it, We got into a full discussion about this, but, uh, when it, he saw the second Conjuring movie, and he was like, Valak, that's a really cool name. <laughs> and he just wrote a song based off of Valak. Really? And, um, Without yeah. the history and everything? Without, yeah, You know, I, I think really just the basic history was Googling it. You, yeah, you right. know, no, nothing more than that. He definitely wasn't uh, in the library checking out books. Uh, no, I, I was the one where, like... To, to the lore. That's I right. I mean, him. It was, yeah, it I was saw the title and I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm in the middle of writing a thesis on the intersection of metal and religion. Mm -hmm. And it's turning into a documentary or whatever. And then I saw that come across when I was doing my research. I was like, oh, we got some good stuff here. Yeah. Okay. So the thing with Valak, you know, for Chris, it was the idea from the movie. And, you know, from a religion standpoint, uh, you know, Valak, yeah, he's a demon. He's one of the Judaic 
princes or something like that. Right. And yeah, a lot of the themes of the song do reflect, I guess, some of the abilities that he has, but none of us are like, you know, like devil worshipers, like we or right. anything like that. You know, we we wrote it and it got incorporated into, I guess, like the overarching story and the thematics of our song of our songwriting for this album. I think that's the one good thing about metal is that and I'm learning it in my research as well. You can it it can encompass everything, right? It can encompass devil worshiping stuff over here. You know, you guys somewhere in the middle and even religious metal. If it's good, it's good metal. Absolutely. Definitely. And I don't and think I you think find that anywhere with, else. Um, you know, sort of just the lyrics themselves and, and how you approach it. Because uh, uh, a lot of our songs, they do have down-to-earth explanations, you know, that... Um, you know, Chris had in mind as, as he was kind of writing them. Uh, but he frames them in such a way that they're on a grander scale and really fit in with that um, theme of, uh, you know, Valak and the overall theme of the album. While, you know, if you kind of peel, peel back the layers, um, you know, there, there's some real meanings in there as well. So let me go one step further then. With that being said, is there something you want your fans to take away from after listening to Ronin or even more specific Valak the Defiler? I think that's entirely up to interpretation. When I listen to it, I take away, you know, uh, an epic, you know, a, a story, uh, a fight. There's obviously some type of a conflict, and you don't know how the conflict really resolves. I mean, we do, but, <laughs> um, you know, there's a conflict, and there is a purpose for the way that the songs are organized in the way that they are. And, you know, sitting with the band and, you know, talking things over between the four of us, uh, you know, the one thing that we want people to be able to really take away from it is their own personal perception of the album. You know, leave it to interpretation. Moss and I were at a party over the weekend and someone had literally came up, you know, with their own personal interpretation that was akin to, you know, an idea that I had. But that's the whole like beauty of it. And I think Moss could, you know, agree and even, you know, further develop that point as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree where it's, uh, you know, it's a very light concept album is kind of what we're calling it, where we didn't write it with, um, you know, the story in mind initially. But once we had sort of the songs in front of us, we knew what was going to be on the album. Uh, like Bo said, we, we were able to sort of arrange them in a way where, um, you know, there is a narrative in our mind now, but it's... Uh, it's not the forefront, you know, each song sort of stands on its own and it's definitely nothing where every line, every lyric um, is, is really telling right. a story. You, you know, you can kind of shape it uh, in, in your own mind. And I really encourage that. I think that's what makes a song longer lasting is um, if it's something that each person can can feel a personal touch point with and grow with rather than, uh, you know, where the singers on on every podcast explaining exactly what it's about. And then it's, you know, it's hard to really form a connection with. Right. So when you guys are writing your songs, are you writing how they're going to come across on stage? Like this will be a good part for a sing along or this will be a good part for a chant or along those lines. Or are you writing the song for the song's sake and then worrying about the stage later? From my point of view, we write the song for the song's sake first. And then once we have that finalized, then we start thinking about how we can best represent it live. You know, we'll sometimes make slight changes, um, you know, how we transition between songs or um there's a particular section in valak where uh we, we kind of shift into the bridge and on the album it's uh, a bit of a pause before we jump into it 
uh, live, I, I sort of do a, a little bit of a slowdown on the drums to help, you know, ease in the transition and, and make sure right. we're all on the same page. So we do things like that to really clean it up and play it as best as we can live. But I, I think from, uh, uh, you know, definitely from my point of view, I'm focused first on the album because that's really how most people will hear it. Um, you know, they may see you live once in a year, but they can listen to you every day. And we want that to be uh, the best representation of us. Fair enough. Um, how difficult is it? Do you find it sequencing a record? Because a lot of bands don't even sequence anymore, right? They're releasing one single at a time and then moving on. There's a whole lost art, I think, in the sequencing, right? Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Yeah, I think uh, you know sequencing is an important thing when you're releasing a big piece of work. Um, and with Valak, sequencing was so important. I think uh, I think out of everybody, I was the one that was like, guys, we really need to sequence these songs really good. You know, Dick I had this really good flow, idea. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, because we we didn't want we didn't want things to slow down and then just to pick up all of a sudden, you know, right. at weird times. And I think once we kind of like listened to the album multiple times, you know over and over and over and over we kind of just voted you know like hey this is the lineup we're thinking and we all kind of had a pretty similar idea of what we wanted the order to be and once we finalized the sequencing it just made sense both from you know an artistic standpoint um and a narrative standpoint and i think uh you know like anyone that does listen you know to this uh and you are working on an album sequencing is important make sure that you know if you're listening to it, like you're going to be really excited about what you're listening to next. And that, you know, if someone else listens to it, that they're going to be excited to listen to what happens next. Think about like the best albums you've ever listened to in your life, you know, like memorable records. And I'm going to use this one because this is probably like, you know, one that everyone could probably relate to, but Master of Puppets. You can listen to that forwards and backwards. And sequence the sequencing of that album was done perfect, you know, like near perfection right there. And it's just so important and it's such a lost art. And I think and I'm just so glad that like we as a band were able to really focus in on the importance of that. Yeah, we talk about it a lot on the show and not many people, you know, have to worry about that because it's really just that six week model of, you know, singles or whatever. But, you know, as an old school dude, I really appreciate it. Because it sets up the moods and it sets up, you know, it takes us where you want to go. It's a journey, especially in something like this, right? Definitely. And I, and I think also, you you know, the sequencing was important to us. And also, um, you know, what you're mentioning with the six-week model versus an album where we, we think the album will really capture a moment in time of the band better. You know, sort of where we all were as, as players and, and where we were in our minds at the time. Where the six-week model, it feels more... Like sometimes you're chasing what the trend is, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, and you kind of lose what the the real feel of the band is. Um, so, so I, I think, you know, we may release a bit more singles in the future, but we we definitely still have um, 
you know, EPs and, and sort of um, collections of songs in mind overall. Right. What about uh, taking this out on the road? Any plans for Ronan on the road? Yeah, we are currently, uh, we're currently going to Canada next weekend. Um, oh, nice. So that will, so I'm not sure when this releases, but that'll be, you know, November 3rd to the 4th. Um, and we're doing that weekend with um, friends of the label, uh, Late Night Trouble. You know, just giving them a quick shout out. Um, but for, you know, summer and for, you know, the February break that's coming up, you know, we're planning a New England stretch. So all you people that are out in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, we're going to probably be running up there with our friends, the Muckrakers. And then for the summer, we're probably planning a pretty long uh, trip between, you know, Long Island into Buffalo and seeing if we can get back into Canada. And in between, you know, we're trying to do extended weekends into Jersey and into Pennsylvania. So we have a few things that we're working out right now as we kind of go through our list of venues and go through, you know, our booking people to kind of get things settled up for 2024. Um, the only reason why, you know, we've delayed is because one, we wanted to make sure that we were satisfied with the album, that we had a very good understanding of what we were going to do with the label. And as well as, you know, just making sure that we were show ready because, uh, you know, some of these songs can be brutal. And when you're doing a gauntlet of shows, uh, you need to really build up your endurance. And um, and yeah. first impressions matter. So you got to. Oh, be absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that runs me to the end of my questions. Did I miss anything you wanted to cover? I mean, the only thing that I think we could possibly discuss is the single that's out now. <laughs> you know, um, if you have any comments on that, Moss. No, I would say, yeah, I, I don't have anything specific. You know, I guess just self Let's go check it out. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, check us out on Instagram, Ronin Rock Band. Uh, really, you know, most of our names are Ronin or Ronin Rock Band. So uh, uh, you can find us on Instagram. Our website is ronin-band.com. Uh, we have merch on there. Um, you can listen to all our music on our website as well. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, really just covering, uh, making sure people are able to find us. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yeah. And then uh, listen to the listen to the new single. It's great. It's fun. We have a music video out for it, which you could find on our YouTube page. We had a lot of fun. We gave ourselves whiplash for the entire day, except for Moss. Moss got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Me, Jack, Thanks. and Chris, we gave ourselves whiplash just so that you guys could enjoy a nice piece of cinematic rock-filled music. So definitely also check that out and let us know what you guys think about it. There's a thing known as a comment section on YouTube. Just use you know, it. Use it. Yeah. Use it. Use all 250 characters if you have to. Yep. Thank you, my friends. I appreciate the time. Thanks. I'm probably Thank like so two weeks out on this, so I might miss that weekend, but we'll get the rest of it in. No Absolutely. problem. I appreciate we'll, it. We'll have it in time for that uh, New England run. Absolutely. Yeah. Be well, take care, and uh, Strong Island. Strong Island. Thanks again. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason. I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriel, Jimmy G. from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun.